Hey everyone, how are you? I hope you are having an amazing day or evening depending on when you are tuning in. Today we are going to be answering your questions and I get really excited to do these episodes because I love helping you guys out with the exact information that you're looking for. You are listening to the Career Talk Learn, Grow, Thrive podcast where we talk about all things career related and I really just tell you how it is. I'm your host, Stephanie Dennis, and my background is in human resources, which is what I have my master's degree in. And my passion really is helping others and sharing my knowledge, which is why I decided to create the podcast. This is a good time to mention this podcast does contain adult language. So let's dive right in. And before I get into the questions I have for this episode, I wanted to touch on something real quick from the last episode we did answering your guys' questions. And one of the questions was how to stand out in the application process. And another thing that I thought of, and I don't believe I mentioned it in that last episode, is when you apply to different positions, you certainly can go to like LinkedIn and apply with your LinkedIn profile. However, I would encourage you strongly (laughs) to actually apply with a resume because here's the deal. Each different applicant tracking system, so different ATS that recruiters are using, are going to import that data differently. So some will actually import like a basically a PDF of your LinkedIn profile, which is the best case scenario. However, some will also put it into a text document. So if you think about when you pull up Notepad on your computer, like right, like who even uses Notepad if you have a Windows, that's how it looks. And it looks terrible and it's very hard to read. So you can always apply on LinkedIn. And when you do that, you have the option to apply with your resume. So I would always encourage you to apply with your resume and your resume should be in PDF form because that way you'll have control over what the recruiter or hiring manager is looking at versus hoping for the best, right? (laughs) So I wanted to put that out there. Let's get into the questions for this episode. Number one, in your experience, if the person you're recruiting for only fits 60% of the job description, but has seemingly overlapping skills that you can potentially develop or cross-train from the job you're recruiting for, how much are you willing to pay them compared to the market price? That's a good question. Generally speaking, we are recruiting people who are fitting our job descriptions, not to a T, but you know, 80-ish percent of the requirements, um, if not more. However, if we have interviewed someone and decided they can do the job, we're still trying to pay them, generally speaking. (laughs) Every company is different. Somewhere between 90 to 110 percent of what we call midpoint. And midpoint is usually right in line with the market. Some companies, unfortunately, don't pay market, right? So their midpoint could easily be 75% to market. So it's hard to ask that compared to market. It's usually more so compared to a midpoint, which is like the middle of the range that a particular job has. And now some companies are going to be paying 100% to uh, market. So that's what their midpoint is. Some companies will pay 80, 90, 75, 70. So it really depends. 
However, I have certainly interviewed people. They have gone through the interview process. We've gotten to the offer stage and we've realized that, you know, they may not be a senior fill in the blank title, right? However, they're really great and we still want to hire them. So we'll just relevel the position for them. So I would say if someone is applying to a role and they um, have gone through the interview process, they're qualified, we're going to make them an offer and they don't have all of the requirements, they're probably going to be below that midpoint, maybe in that 85 to 100% range versus going above that midpoint. Number two, how to negotiate a salary with global firms when they have established a base in your country because they have business opportunities here. I'm going to guess this person's working for a large company, not in the US, and they want to know how to negotiate with a global firm. So here's the thing. It wouldn't be any different than in the US in theory. (laughs) For all the global organizations I've worked for, we still have the same compensation strategy in other countries. It's just the numbers are different, right? So it's not US dollars. However, we still know what the market is paying for those particular jobs and we still have a range that we're working with. So negotiation shouldn't be that much different and there should be a range uh, for the position. So If there's more to that question that I'm not understanding, definitely reach out and let me know. Number three, how likely are recruiters are willing to issue visa support for skilled workers from abroad? Okay, so this is like around sponsorship. So how likely are recruiters uh, willing to sponsor? So this really 100% honesty here isn't up to the recruiters at all. It is typically left up to the company and the hiring manager and their budget and their ability to sponsor. So there are a lot of very larger organizations that are set up to offer sponsorship. And then it's up to the hiring manager to determine if it's within their budget because it's usually fairly expensive. I want to say twenty dollars to $40,000-ish, give or take, to provide a sponsorship depending on uh, the circumstances around it and then what, you know, the, the specific visa is. Now, there's some, like I think a Canadian uh, visa is like $250. So I'm thinking more of like your H-1B type of sponsorships. Now, in terms of the likelihood, that's really going to depend on what other recruiting options have been exhausted because in order to, at least this is my understanding, if I understand this incorrectly, someone please let me know. (laughs) Um, However, in my experience, when we apply for someone to have a visa that a company is sponsoring, we have to, as a company, prove that we've exhausted all U.S. options in addition to going through legal team and paying the fees and whatnot. So it's definitely very common. I don't have a percentage, but for the most part, every company I've worked for minus like one, maybe, maybe two has not been able to offer sponsorship. So it's fairly common and it's more so common in uh, very technical positions where recruiting for those roles is very difficult. Number four, how do you weed out people that do not have the skills but blatantly lied in the interview saying they're able to do the job? This is a really good question. So if you are interviewing people and when you bring them on board, they're not able to perform the duties that they said they could in the interview process, you have to change the interview process itself. So have them do some sort of exercise or asking the questions differently. In a technical role, you could easily have someone do like a whiteboarding or like a coding exercise on a whiteboard right in front of a panel of interviewers. You know, I've had some 
I've had some hiring managers have people do presentations. I've had some hiring managers have them do, uh, have their candidates do like a Excel exercise, depending again on what skills you're trying to have people prove that they can do, right? One, incorporating an exercise if possible, um, or asking very uh, specific questions. Tell me about a time when you encountered this issue and walk me through exactly how you resolved it instead of just saying, do you know how to do this, right? Number five, how do I move from working as an engineer to a law clerk or paralegal job without getting a law degree? A paralegal, you just need an associate degree. So you wouldn't have to get any sort of special degree to do paralegal work. So let me know if there's more to that question, but you shouldn't have to. So if you want to move from working as an engineer, you would have already taken all of the courses. I would imagine if you have a four-year degree, you would have already taken all the courses that that you would for an associate's degree. And then of course, like there are certainly people who have uh, bachelor's degrees that are doing paralegal work. So for my understanding and a quick Google search, (laughs) Google knows everything, (laughs) you definitely shouldn't need to get a law degree. Number six, how to go from being a regular employee to a manager. What skills should I learn along the way and how can I avoid having to work for the same company in years to get such a position? So generally speaking, if you have never had any sort of leadership or management experience, your best bet would be to get that promotion at your current company. However, it doesn't have to take forever. (laughs) First, you want to make sure that your current manager knows what you're looking to do and the goal you're looking to get to, that is a leadership role, and let them know and then ask them what you need to do uh, to get their support to do that. And there could be particular milestones they want you to achieve. There could be certain skills they want you to uh, work at for whatever your current role is. So I would look into some of the, you know, more popular uh, leadership resources out there. So there are a ton of really amazing books out there on leadership that can help someone who's never been in leadership before. So I would definitely check that out. Talk to your manager, get their support, have them tell you what you should be working on. Number seven, what basic skills do company owners typically need to learn? It depends on what kind of company. (laughs) Generally speaking, you have to have some general idea as far as managing income and expenses. So some basic accounting. There are certainly software applications you can get for that, but as a general, you need to have that basic understanding. You need to know if you're going to have employees, people leadership, you need to know marketing, you need to know uh, networking, some general understanding as far as business, and then some high-level HR type of information. So if you're going to hire employees, making sure that you're doing that legally and appropriately. So (laughs) as far as what do you need to know, a little bit of everything. However, nothing is so in-depth that it should prevent someone from wanting to start a company. And there are always other companies out there that can offer those services to you. Number eight, when your employer asks you to sign unreasonable contract that already breaches the law, but you want to work for the job because they do interesting jobs, do you reconcile with your decision? 
So your employer is asking you to sign an unreasonable contract that is breaking the law, but you want to get the position because they do interesting jobs. So interesting projects, I'm assuming maybe some sort of like consulting. That's a tough one. Here's the deal. Just because an employer has you sign a contract, if it's breaking the law, it doesn't make it legal. So (laughs) there's that. (laughs) However, I would think long and hard before working for a company like that because if they're willing to break the law up front with a employment agreement, they are probably doing some other shady practices as well. So it may not be a company that you would want a partnership with. I would just say for that, follow your gut, follow your morals, follow your ethics. You know what's going to be best for you. So I would follow that. All right, number nine, how to quit your job. Okay, so the when of when to quit your job is once your background check clears. So some people certainly give notice before that. It is very, very, very rare that your background check will come back with something you don't know about on it, (laughs) right? If you've gotten in trouble, generally you know (laughs) you've gotten in trouble. However, there has been very rare circumstances where crazy things come back on a background check and I've had to rescind offers. So just play it safe once the background check clears and then what to say. So I'll give you kind of the general structure. I won't give you word for word what to say, but as a general rule, so like your first, you know, the first line or sentence should be stating that you're giving a formal or official uh, notice, whether it's two weeks, three, four weeks, you know, some people give a month, a two month, whatever. So somehow stating you're giving your formal notice. Second line, you really appreciate the opportunity to work on the team and, you know, everything you've learned, et cetera, et cetera. So one, state you're giving your notice. Two, express your appreciation. Three, make it clear that you want to make the transition as easy as possible, whether that is, you know, helping identify person who's going to be taking your spot, whether that is, you know, creating a transition plan, whatever that might be. And then I always recommend to leave it like, you know, really enjoyed working with you, would love to keep in touch or just keeping the lines of communication open. One, you may need this person for reference. And two, you never know, like the world is so small and (laughs) you may be working for that person again down the road. So never want to burn a bridge. And then I would just say, keep it honest and keep it genuine. All right, everybody, that is all I have for you today. If you want me to answer your questions, fill out the Google survey I created. It's in the show notes. You can enter them there and I am happy to do that. I hope you found this information helpful and valuable. As always, thank you so very much for taking the time to listen to the podcast. I really do appreciate it. You can find more info over at Steph. Dennis 13 along with the show notes and then you can also find out if you would like to work together uh, how to do that over at listen to careertalk.com and if you would like to contribute to the podcast you can do so via paypal and i will leave the link in the show notes or you can use my email which is steph at stephdennis13.com and i would really greatly appreciate it and if you have a minute please leave a rating or review for the podcast it really helps other people find us and you can find me over on the socials mostly Facebook and Instagram at StephDennis13, so one three. You guys are so awesome. Thank you so very much, and I hope you have an amazing rest of your day.